0: seven years it's been a marriage in name only as the saying go I I can't leave him but I'm young don't laugh at me please I'm not, I'm not laughing at you I couldn't laugh at you seven years I've been good and decent trying to hard it was dealt me as the saying goes but sometimes at night after he goes to sleep
1: i lay there crying and trying to think of a way out Hello and welcome to the Lone Acting Nominees Podcast, a show where I'm joined each week by a guest to discuss a movie that only received one Oscar nomination, that being for one of its performances. We'll talk about the performance in question, the movie as a whole, and its place in the Oscar race, among other things. I'm Gordon McNulty, and this week I'm joined once again by Jackie DiStefano to discuss Maureen Stapleton's Oscar-nominated performance in the 1958 film Lonely Hearts. Good to have you back on the show for the fourth time as well. Did we it do is that on accident? the fourth time. Yeah,
0: I I guess so. Yes, this is my fourth time on here. Uh, I've previously done uh, Lawrence Olivier in Marathon Man, uh, Charles Durning in uh, What's It Called, a Best Little Horror House in Texas, and Jodie Foster in Nell. I'm aiming for uh, to do at least one of each acting category, which I think I was talking about it with Christoph, and he's probably going to get there first. Yeah, I'm still aiming for that goal just to do it. It Yeah, nobody
1: has gotten there yet i think you're now the the fourth third or fourth or fifth person that's gotten three i think uh i don't know but yes no uh uh yeah thank you i don't know where that sentence was going i almost wanted to thank you for coming on as if we were closing Oh yeah
0: um, well st- you can still thank me for coming on i'm, I'm always happy to be here though <laughs> it's yes, just of course. like i i always love talking about the oscars i always love talking about actors i love talking about and, and i love talking about especially like lesser known films which like we have today and lesser known performances or nominations like uh, maureen stapleton here here it's just always a pleasure mm-hmm. to be here
1: yeah yeah so uh, uh, tell me a little bit about what drew you to this movie in particular and what your sort of history with it may be
0: so last year i think it was last year when i was really just trying to buckle down and watch every single oscar nominated performance just go through and make sure to get get through every single one and and of course while i was going through that uh, i ended up watching lonely hearts and i i don't know what it was about this movie but it just absolutely captured me i fell in love with this head over heels and it's just like i thought uh like five different performances when i first watched it i thought there were five different performances in this movie that were worthy of oscar nominations and maureen stapleton wasn't one of them at first <laughs> huh. i i had loved montgomery clift robert ryan myrna Loy, uh dolores hart and um Anzo Stevens, and it's like I thought they were all fantastic, and it's like I thought Maureen Sableton was very good as well but I didn't think she was quite like Oscar-worthy in that time but and not to really spoil what my thoughts on her performance are, but this rewatch really uh, up- uplifted my opinion of her performance, I thought she was still really, she was really great in this but yeah, and it's like when you were asking me, on our last episode afterwards, we were asking me uh, what what was a film that I would want to what i would be interested in seeing or in covering uh i looked through the list i sorted it by like the letterbox list by like popularity just scroll to the bottom because i want to i want to be helpful to you oh gordon i want to take thank you i want to take the episodes that no one else is going to take hey so i go like look at the worst ones and look at the ones that no one's heard of and be like okay what what would be would I be willing to do? And I saw Lonely Hearts there. it's like, oh, that's perfect because I love it, but most people don't. And it's like, it's not a film many people have heard of. So I thought it'd be perfect for me to take. And so that's why I'm here.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Always happy for people to pick out those uh, lesser ones. I've got a a few coming up that are not necessarily like your Jackie Brown's and your My Cousin Vinny's and uh, your Gone Girls and the ones like that, that I'm like saving. Like I have a... Mm -hmm. In the next few weeks or so, it's a lot of this type of older, more obscure, you know, not quite as remembered or talked about even in the sort of circles that we trade in of Oscar mm-hmm. people. Um, yeah, this was my first time watching this one. I can't say I, I necessarily liked it overall as much as it sounds like you do. But yeah, <laughs> that's always uh, fun for a good conversation uh, at the very least. So I'm excited to get into this one with you we're talking about lonely hearts from 1958 directed by vincent j donahue written by i've never actually read this author's name out loud or heard it Uh dor sherry is that is that how we're that, pronouncing that name
0: that looks i i and like look, going to their wikipedia page their name is Isidore, so i think Door sounds right dor sherry okay. Door sherry sounds
1: right yes Uh, uh, adapted from the 1933 novel Miss Lonely Hearts by Nathaniel West and the subsequent 1957 play of the same name by Howard M. Teichman. It stars Montgomery Clift, Robert Ryan, Myrna Loy, Dolores Hart, Maureen Stapleton, Jackie Coogan, Mike Kellen, Onslow Stevens, Frank Maxwell, and Frank Overton. Uh, It opened December 26th, 1958. Uh, At least that's when it had its premiere and then appeared to open later in uh, early 1959 uh, more wide but it did have that qualifying release so that is the movie we are talking about Um, we were talking a bit off mic beforehand about how to try to describe a sort of summary for this movie because especially with movies like this that are maybe less popular and maybe probably most of my audience wouldn't have seen before I want to start doing like like basic sort of plot summaries so people know what we're talking about (laughs) I don't really know how to do a plot summary for this one. As we were discussing, how do you, how would you like describe the basic plot beats of this movie? So I, I
0: would start off by like, let's get into the character of Adam White. I think I, we, we start off the movie starts off with him in a bar and he's talking to the wife of this, uh, of the editor in chief of the newspaper, the Chronicle. Well, and it's like he, Adam wants to work there and, uh, I don't think he realized that, uh, Myrna Loy was, uh, the guy's wife at first, but they kind of chat up, up uh, and he, and eventually the editor does come in and Adam tries to get a job and he's, and eventually he does get a job at the column, but the editor, um, Shrike, I think his name is, uh, he's like, he's very, uh, He's not a kind boss. That that is made perfectly clear. And like at the bar, he's just like, okay, write something for me now. i and just like just putting him on the spot, having him uh come up with an article for something, anything. And then and then when he gets the job, uh he uh he's assigned to the titular lonely hearts column, Miss Lonely Hearts Hearts, which takes in uh letters from the the people of the city that they're in. I think is it New York or is it
1: I I think it's a nondescript city. Yeah. It's city. It takes place in city
0: cityville, USA.
1: Exactly.
0: And, and yeah, just a lonely hearts column where it's just like people who have, uh, uh, trouble in love, just specifically women, specifically specifically women women
1: that have romantic sort of
0: troubles and just write in and they'll give you advice. And Adam has been put on the job. Um, And I think that's a good place to start off with. Yes.
1: And uh, so to talk about Maureen Stapleton, our nominee here uh, for her uh, credited screen debut, she was in something else beforehand in an uncredited role. Uh, But this is her, effectively, her her film debut. She gets the title card, the introducing Maureen Stapleton Mm -hmm. in the intro. And she plays a woman here whose husband had gone to war, or so she... So he told her uh, and had come back uh, crippled in some way and as a result was impotent uh, later on down. And she's been with him for 11 years and feels sort of trapped in this marriage. And she writes to this Lonely Hearts column. He calls her up to uh, to meet her and they have a brief sort of affair and then afterwards, he doesn't want to see her again because he's sort of shook by the whole, uh, the whole affair, the whole meeting of it. And she reacts, uh, in in some ways. And she, you know, kind of. It, it, I saw someone describe it as like a, a sort of a, a proto fatal attraction type thing. It doesn't really go to that, uh, degree. But she does, you know, get, uh, justifiably angry at him. And has some outbursts after the fact. It's a very short performance. She's not in a ton of the movie. Yeah. Uh, But yeah, where where? How do you feel now? Uh, As you mentioned, you have more of a heightened opinion of this performance on rewatch. What are your like initial thoughts of this performance that she's giving here?
0: Yeah. So, so we've it just immediately. It's just like what what happens is that after uh, Adam like calls her up and she. And goes to her does she go to his house or his she house goes to she? his she goes to his house him, yeah. he invites her over and she starts off like she essentially just tells him her entire story with her husband and like just immediately maureen stapleton is giving everything she is putting her whole soul into this performance just really making you feel like this woman has been utterly emotionally destroyed by her marriage by this life she's in and she she is looking for just any kind of escape from it is she just very you could tell like she just perfect so well that you could tell she's been long suffering she gets all 11 of those years into her performance and it's just like God, it's destroying just watching her. It's just like she appears like about an hour into the movie, I think. think Maybe a bit longer than that. But it's just like, and like you have just like all these random plot beats going on that have yet to really connect uh, yeah and just like just life at the office people are just like okay this kind of sucks or whatever or and adam has a girlfriend and she's like okay things are happening but then maureen stableton just comes in with all this deep emotion and it's and it's also like it's prefaced very w- well by an earlier scene where Adam uh, and like the other editors are kind of like making fun of a lot of the people who are like uh, who are like writing in and stuff like they're like, oh, who cares about these people? It's like they they're all a bunch of just lo- lonely slobs or whatever, like they're overstating their worries. And like, that's why Adam calls up someone to really just learn about the people well, who are writing in. And so she comes over and just, oh, God, it is it's devastating.
1: Yeah, it's it's a really sort of wrenching scene where she's playing the nerves of it cuz like she's very clearly going over there with the assumption that like this is going to lead to something more. We're talking about this like oh, I just want to talk to you, but she's like this guy is he wants to fuck me and I'm I also <laughs> like that's the sort of the barely even subtext for the whole conversation. They don't ever say that he's impotent, but they she says uh, we took him to a doctor, and the doctor said he couldn't love me anymore. And she's been, you know, essentially celibate for the past seven years since he's returned. And he didn't even go to war; he was working in a shipyard, and he fell. There was like an accident, uh, and so he like has he was lying to her and all this stuff, and and keeping things from her. And this marriage has fallen apart, and she doesn't know what to do. And she has just seven years of pent up, just like. Everything that that she's unsatisfied. She's been mm-hmm. unsatisfied for the for almost a decade, and it's palpable in this scene that she is on the brink of some sort of explosion in one way or another. Mm-hmm. That like she she mentioned like she goes through all this stuff. She like starts breaking down. She starts crying. She starts talking about how like at night after he falls asleep, I just think about any way I can get out of this. I keep thinking mm-hmm. how much I want to die. Uh, And -hmm. then uh, I don't want to die, but I feel like I'm dying inside and all this stuff. And she's just completely falling apart. And like you said, it it happens so much, so like far into the movie. Like she has a scene like 40 minutes in very briefly at the bar, but like this actual scene isn't until well over an hour into the movie. And as someone that didn't really like it as much as you did and thought, like Mm -hmm. I, I did like some of the performances throughout. I didn't think there were any, necessarily bad ones but a lot of it feels very heightened and a lot of it feels very theatrical and you yeah. have a a very sort of fragile montgomery clift and a very smug robert ryan uh and some other sort of supporting players throughout and then once you get maureen stapleton just being like an actual person in this movie it's almost like a breath of fresh air of like oh this is a character this is like actual drama that I'm watching and the heightened emotions make sense in the context for the character and the mm-hmm. backstory. And it really just comes together uh with this kiss where she ends up, he's like sort of trying to console her and she kisses him and kisses him again and, you know, fade to black because it's 1958 uh, and they're in the back of a car. But like it's, it's really well done, that one scene in a way that you can see why perhaps uh, people at the time would have uh, been drawn to her as a presence in this movie, because she just stands out so much. As, aside from all the other performances being given, like it feels so much more naturalistic than everything else.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's just like I, I definitely understand the uh, the the aversion to how it is a bit theatrical and stuff. Of and it's just like, but. But also, I I'm a much bigger fan of like theatrical, like just theater in general. But also, theater theatrical films. I and when people say that the said a complaint in a movie feels like a play, I'm usually like, yeah, and who cares? Oh yeah, me but, too, <laughs> me
1: too. Generally, yeah. But yeah, uh, so
0: yeah, and it's like I and it's like I did notice like while I was watching it that the dialogue is very is it's very flowery at times, and it's just like I. I, it did almost irk me a bit, but also it's just like... there. It's also like... This is about a bunch of writers, mainly. So it's like, yeah, it should be a bit flowery. Yeah. But anyway... Um,
1: I, I think what it comes down to, at least for me, was that like all of the other characters felt so... Uh, uh, I don't want to keep saying theatrical in that way, but they're, they're so very uh, uh, morose and so very in their emotions over things that don't feel quite as as realistic necessarily. Like Montgomery Clift, one has this whole backstory that is very writerly and, and very melodramatic. It's very... Because his father uh, walked in on his mother with another man when uh, Clift's character was three, and so he killed both of them, and he's been in jail all this time. Mm-hmm. And that's, like, heightened. That's... Uh, a feels very literary, feels like a, a sort of, yes, that thing happens in real life all the time, but you usually hear about that in drama. Whereas the sort of the realism of, of Stapleton's sort of situation is more relatable, It mm-hmm. is more of a, a situation that could, you know, could happen to any of us in a more realistic sort of way. She's more of a relatable character, I guess, is what I'm trying to say with all that. Uh, Whereas everyone else is like, you know, everyone in this movie is cheating. That's the whole whole thing. It's like there's five or six different adulteries happening at any given time. Because Mm -hmm. there's the thing with Cliff's dad and Cliff cheats on his, uh, uh, Adam cheats on his girlfriend, Justy, with, maureen stapleton who's cheating Mm -hmm. her husband and myrna Loy cheated on robert ryan once 14 years ago and he still holds that over her head Mm -hmm. and there's just a whole bunch of cheating going on and the movie is very very clear that it has a lot to say about affairs uh and with all that it feels like maureen stapleton's character is the one that feels like like a realistic like an almost justifiable affair Exactly. And so maybe that gives her some more leeway uh in that sense
0: yeah and it is just i i think i was mentioning this earlier but it's like the the film is like really just building up to this and it's just like like because like part of the reason is just like uh he they're trying to adam is trying to get some real emotion in his like just just to feel something real, kind of. Uh, there's just like he's stuck in this office. It's just like he's kind of tired of a lot of things. He's, And so he seeks her out just to, like, learn about a real person. Just, like, to get him... Because that's his whole thing. Like, he didn't want to take the lonely cards column because he didn't really have much experience with like a lot of the things that the people were going through. It's just like he didn't really know what this, what he could say to people. So that's why he goes out to seek Maureen Stapleton. And then just this wave of emotion just hits you with her, her. And then it's just like, and then. We, we should talk about her next scene after that. Yes. Where it's just like after they, you know, they, it's, just, it's implied they have sex ex, and then it's just like, like, uh, and then Montgomery Clift immediately is saying that, like, he doesn't want to do this again. He doesn't, he's kind of like regretful about this. And then she gets mad at him. He is just like, like, I, you can't pretend that you didn't want this. Like, we, that's the only reason either of us were seeking each other out because we both wanted to. Yeah, she
1: she says something like you wanted a sad story. Well, I got you a sad story, but you also wanted action and I wanted action and we gave it to each other. And Mm. I liked it. And she like blows up on him in the back of this car and storms off in a way that I, I was very, you know, sort of pleased to see this character not reduced to just like, oh, well, a woman that this man can have sex with for his own personal growth and discard and she's just fawning over him. Because yeah. she does, like, still have this attachment to him, but in a more complex way, in a way that doesn't feel like, oh, well, he's the the man that's so sad and so good at sex that she falls in love with him and is just, you know, subservient to him, and he's better for it because he learned a valuable lesson about life. Like, no, she's mm-hmm. justifiably pissed off at him for being sort of wishy-washy and depressed about everything. Mm-hmm. Um, And then... Her next, and I guess last scene, again, uh, on Screen Time Central, she only has like 11 minutes of screen time in this movie. She's not in it a lot, but she leaves a really sort of lasting impression. Uh, She's at home and she calls him up again and she's talking to him and, you know, she calls him baby or something. And her husband comes home and sees her and she doesn't see him at first. He like starts beating up on her and asking what's going on and pushes her into a table and she picks up a knife and she, you know, has that sort of flash in her eyes again and she chases after him. And I thought like just the, the up on her, the expression on her face when she's holding that knife and like going after him, she has a very expressive face. You can see Mm -hmm. why she was, you know, hailed as one of the great actresses of her generation. Uh, Mm -hmm. And like in all mediums, TV, movies, theater, like really sort of expansive career. Uh, you can see in that moment the spark that would ignite this this great actress of of having these emotional, ah, uh, sort of outbursts that really capture your attention. It's a really striking shot of her, just like like glaring at him. Uh, uh, finally, for once, like standing up to this man that has been putting her, ah, uh, you know, at such a distance for all these years. She's not going to take it anymore. And it's again something that, that could be very overwrought and melodramatic. And it's not in the hands of this very talented actress that mm-hmm. makes her feel just like a, a real person really experiencing this mm. this situation. Exactly.
0: She Maureen Stapleton, amazing. Always.
1: Exactly. I, I need to see more of her stuff. I, I'm sort of lacking in in my Maureen Stapleton sort of Oh, uh, awareness and, and having seen a lot of her films, but yeah. just from what I have seen, I'm very impressed by her as an actress. Yeah.
0: yeah, and I guess you, I guess this is the only time you cover her on here because Reds and Interiors had other nominations.
1: Yeah, she may be, she might show up in an, another one. Oh yeah, but uh, as far as oh. her nominations, yes, this is the only one.
0: Actually, looking through, uh. N- well, no, she doesn't show up on another. Oh, another one. Oh, she was also nominated for Airport. Forgot about that.
1: Oh yeah, Airport.
0: Yeah. Uh, but yeah, this is, this is the only time she shows up on this podcast, unless you watch the other nominees in another category. Which yeah,
1: that's. I think I think that lines up with at least one of those other three. Yeah. Maybe. I, I, Either way, either know. way, I'll I'll still check them out at some point. Yeah, you, you, I, I will. You'll still get watch there eventually. You have a completionist blood. You have the completionist blood, in you you'll get there eventually. Somewhere, somewhere deep in there, I will. I'm making my way through it slowly but surely. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, uh, you'll, you'll you'll get there. You're, you're with this podcast. You're kind of getting through the tough ones first, and it's just like you're going to be watching like the best picture nominees and and the like the ones nominated for five Oscars after that.
1: Yeah, yeah, that was part of the reason why I did this project in the first place was exactly a, a reason to actually you know sit myself down in front of all these movies is there <sighs> anything else we want to say about stapleton's performance here
0: i think we kind of covered it she like we said she's not in this much but in the scene she has she is fantastic
1: exactly a real a, again scene stealer uh in her few scenes movie stealer with those few scenes uh mm-hmm. justifiably a lone nominee here uh because like she just stands out so so strikingly Mm -hmm. okay yeah uh, we can move on in that case and talk about some of the rest of this movie i would like a different job you have a
0: respectable reason it's a nightmare i don't enjoy writing this lonely hearts adam speaking of nightmares My father was president of the United States, and he always required a clear reason for letting one of his cabinet officers off the hook. That's why I had to remain a secretary of state for over 30 years.
1: So where do you want to start in that case? Let's talk about these other
0: performances, because as I was saying before, this movie has a lot of great performances, in my opinion, at least. Yeah. Like, let's start with Montgomery Clift in our lead role as Adam White, the editor who or the writer, I guess, who doesn't want his job and is kind of unhappy in a lot of ways. He's he's also very awkward, too. Which yeah. Is, which is a kind of a, a staple of a lot of Montgomery Cliff performances, but, you know.
1: Yeah, it feels like, especially in this one, that's sort of his compensating for, because he, he's supposed to be playing a younger man, is yeah. the thing. And he was, I think, 38-ish? Uh, and this is also post his accident, uh, so yeah. there's... It's-
0: one of his first films after his accident, I believe. Yeah. He, if and, not
1: the first, what was it? Maybe maybe I'm misremembering uh,
0: that. Well, He he got in the accident on the set of Raintree County. Uh, he, and I'm trying to think. Uh, uh,
1: where's where's his yo-
0: filmography page? <laughs> there the, yo-
1: the Young Lions appears to have been before this. And then Lonely Hearts. And then Suddenly Last yeah. Summer, Wild River, etc. Yeah.
0: The rest of his career. <laughs> yes, yeah. Oh, I, I forgot he was Sigmund Freud at one point
1: how weird yeah that's his
0: last movie except for you know his actual last movie the defector whatever that is but yeah
1: uh yeah i think he's fine here i think he's it's it's okay as a performance i think it is it does for me lean a little too hard on the sort of neurotic uh awkwardness of of it like Mm -hmm. He's not doing a ton here. It's not a very dynamic role. It's just sort of mopey and reserved and a very interior performance that doesn't have a lot going for it, in my opinion. Like yeah. he's good. It's it's not a bad performance, but there's from the first scene, you know what this guy's whole deal is without mm-hmm. knowing the specifics of it. You know who he is, and he's kind of just that guy for the whole movie.
0: Yeah, and I'll say so. Like on on my first watch, of course, I thought Montgomery Cliff was really great, and of all the performances, I think this is the one that like fell in my opinion the most because it's like I've never really been much of a Montgomery Cliff fan, and like I I think he's fine in most of his movies, but I just never really cared. And when I watched this one for the first time, it was just like, wow, finally Montgomery Cliff performance that I actually really like. But then. As I rewatched it, it's like, oh, this is kind of just like all the other Montgomery Cliff performances that I've seen, because especially in this later part of his year, he is his career. Uh, he get he has a lot of just awkward performances. And I think, like, at least this one, it kind of uh, helps the character. But at the same time, I feel like it would have been better in the hand, like, if James Dean hadn't passed away, I feel like he could have done this role really well uh, or maybe I don't know who else. Just like, I feel like Anthony else.
1: Perkins could have done this really well. Oh. I feel like yeah. He, Oh yeah. Cause like the, the character has to be disillusioned over the course of the story. Like it, it is the whole sort of main dynamic at play is he's this young, uh sort of optimistic, wannabe writer, and Robert Ryan's character is this deeply cynical man that's trying to break him and trying mm-hmm. to prove that. This younger man that he thinks may or may not have been the object of his his wife's affections, if not a full-on affair that she had. Uh, he he can tell that there's something between the two of them, and he's trying to break this kid. And mm-hmm. I feel like Anthony Perkins would present more like like from the beginning, Clift's character seems jaded in a way that kind of undercuts what this the dynamic is supposed to be like from that first scene I can tell Clift is depressed uh okay. and the character does have that to him everything again that I said with his dad and 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 all that but like there there's not a, a proper breaking of the character in a way that I I've, I was kind of expecting based on the presentation of of the characters mm-hmm. if that makes yeah,
0: sense. yeah I i i agree with that uh it it's like but yeah anthony perkins is so such a good suggestion it's just like he he really would have been really great in this and i wish he was in this now yes yeah. <laughs> and, and he was like on the rise to this point like he just got his first oscar nomination uh two years before this with uh friendly persuasion
1: yeah
0: How, oh wait i was about to say if you covered this but no that was a best picture nominee too it was a so best picture w- nominee yeah uh um, but yeah, really, that's just a really good suggestion. <laughs> I'm uh, stuck on it now because Anthony uh, Perkins is so good.
1: One thing that I just want to mention ma- like, I, I usually with these movies that I'm covering, I'll look briefly through the IMDb trivia just to see if there's anything interesting. And there was one that uh, to read it. Uh, verbatim from the the page it says ironically one of montgomery cliff's first lines in the film was about how he's allergic to alcohol the reality was the exact opposite and the way it's oh. phrased it made me uh think alcohol was allergic to montgomery cliff it's <laughs> <laughs> good it's a stupid thing but it, it, it made me laugh enough to write it down but oh well uh <laughs> yeah, I don't have much more to say about Clift from so what I, I I read briefly the like the plot summary of the original book, the Nathaniel West book, which appears to be much more of a dark comedy for one,
0: yeah. I uh, I heard when reading other reviews, it's like they were saying the same thing about how, like, oh, the original play is a lot more comedic than this one than this yeah is.
1: like in the book, uh just looking on the Wikipedia page, he does have an affair with Shrike's wife, and that's like, an actual thing, or wait, no, he's. Let me see if I'm reading this right. Okay, yes, no, he does ha- have an affair with her. He has an affair with Stapleton's character again, uh, but that sort of evolves in a different way. Uh, in-, in the book, they like invite him over to dinner after the first encounter, and she tries to seduce him there. And when and he beats her he like starts hitting on her like to uh, to, uh, reject her advances. And so she like tells her husband that he tried to rape her. And then the book ends with uh, the husband, the Mr. Doyle showing up with a gun rolled into a newspaper. And Adam has had this like revelation and he goes to Mr. Uh, Doyle to embrace him after like a religious uh, uh, epiphany. And then the gun goes off and they roll down a flight of stairs together. And, that appears to be how it ends. So, like, much darker subject matter, much more... Uh, uh, it explores the dynamics in a way that, like, get more at the actual... It, it doesn't sort of fall into melodrama in the sort of watered-down 50s sense. Mm-hmm. And it's a movie from 1958 that's that says the word suicide uh, out loud and divorce, and, like, they're talking about having these affairs. So it's not like it's the most... You know, a uh, uh, puritanical movie of its era. Yeah, but it's you know,
0: a, it's late code.
1: Yes, it, but not quite late enough to code to adapt the full extent of that story mm-hmm. as as it uh, appears to have been written. Yeah. But yeah, Clift feels like like I don't I can't see a Mon- Montgomery Clift character beating a woman like that. I, yeah, it, it feels like the wrong fit for the. I again I can't really see Anthony Perkins. eye well, Psycho is. <laughs> different thing yeah but he's not beating women in that he's it's like there's there's other stuff going on with norman bates there's there's other stuff that that guy's got going i
0: anthony perkins has the range where he could he could play that kind of character i think
1: yeah yeah and and or like even a burt lancaster i feel like is too old for the role uh in 1958 but like would at the very least there's a darker side to him. Paul Newman. Than Cliff. Paul Newman as well. Yeah. Like there's other actors that I think would have been better fits for the role as he's intended to be. than I think Clift yeah. is able to pull off uh, in, in this particular setting. Yeah. Um, as far as the other performances though, I, I did, I did like Robert Ryan. I think he, yeah. I, he's, he's always a fun presence when he's playing these sort of smarmy, smug assholes like anytime you have a robert ryan performance where he spends a majority of his screen time smiling uh i think that that's a good sort of uh 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 what's the word i'm thinking here i don't know i don't know either you know you're in for a good time because you know he's playing a, a sort of smug dick and he's very mm. good at at that particular archetype from what i've seen
0: yeah he he I think outside of Stapleton and on this go-around I think Robert Ryan might be my favorite performance here or just because like he 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 knows what he has to play and he plays it really damn well uh, it's yeah. just he he is enjoying just making Montgomery Clift miserable making everyone miserable like he 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 knows that his wife kind of hates him and he he kind of enjoys that even though yeah. he's trying to he's he's kind of pretending to be sad about you know his failed marriage but yeah and he he hates his employees too like i i love the bit at the start of the movie where it's just like uh one of the fellow writers that montgomery clift is with or before he comes in at least um uh he is on like movie and theater reviews and he tells uh Robert Ryan's character like hey I don't want to be on this stuff I don't like it can you put me on lonely hearts please I- I'd have much better time at that and he tells you no we need you right here, here. and then uh, Montgomery Club comes in and he's like hey you're on lonely hearts and yeah then, then Montgomery Club does go over and be like I'm I'm the new lonely hearts writer and the other guy like he's in the front of the frame he's just like rolls his eyes and <laughs> it's
1: just... Uh, yeah. Yeah. Ryan gets sort of the, the brunt of the flowery language that you were talking about. Uh, and I think he he he's savoring it. You can tell yeah. that he's having a good time playing this absolute asshole. Uh, similar to a uh, previous episode, Billy Budd, where he's having a good time playing this absolute just like sadist uh, uh, sort of authority figure. Uh, he has a, a whole scene in this where he goes off on the Ten Commandments and how they all sort of are are nullified by the modern capitalistic society that we live in, uh, in a way that is very clearly theatrically written, very, very verbose. Mm-hmm. But with someone like Robert Ryan, who fits as a sort of stock character, uh, 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 what, I, again... Not thinking of the words I'm trying to think of. Um, <laughs> just, just like a, a sort of abusive, demeaning boss figure, authority figure, talking down to everyone around him. He <laughs> he eats it up in a, in a way that it just works. You could see other actors stumbling over that. But Robert Ryan is the right man for the job when you have this overly written character that is just the biggest douchebag hmm
0: yeah he's he's eating it up he's chewing the scenery he's great
1: <laughs> yeah it, it, it's it's a good menacing well also not being like a he's a bad guy but he's not like a a villainous character he's not evil he's just yeah. he's just a dick and yeah that's, that's really the the best mode of robert ryan i feel like
0: yeah, the the only antagonist in this is marriage.
1: Yes, <laughs> marriage and, and institutions.
0: Yes, also maybe newspapers. Who knows?
1: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it, that throughout this, I kept thinking of better newspaper movies of this era that are you know have more to say, like Ace in the Hole and Sweet Smell of Success and stuff like that that are you know speaking more to. You know, sensationalism and like this movie doesn't really have all that much to say about newspaper stuff, which you would expect from like a black comedy sort of satire, almost about newspaper stuff. Like Mm -hmm. it's it's tangential, it's inconsequential to the actual story being told in a way that kind of disappointed me uh, watching this for the first time.
0: Yeah, I'm wondering. There's this Gig Young movie. I, I think it's Teacher's Pet that he got a lone Oscar nomination for. I'm wondering if, you, if you've if you seen that yet, because that's also I've about not. newspapers.
1: Okay. Never mind, but, then. Uh, I, I will eventually. Is that a lone nominee from this year? Oh, maybe not. I know uh, Gig but... Young does have one. No, that's got another nomination, it looks like. Oh, for a, a screenplay.
0: Oh, screenplay. Damn it. No, okay. there is a
1: Gig Young one, though.
0: Is it? Uh, fill the Cup or whatever? Come Fill the Cup. Yes. Yeah.
1: Yeah, so at some point I'll be talking about Gig Young, but not. I
0: I, t- I wish Teacher's Pet got the uh, lone nomination. Well, I guess I wanted it to win screenplay. Is it the best screenplay nominee there? But uh, I, I I wish you could talk about Teacher's Pet. I, I want to know your thoughts on that one.
1: <laughs> but, I will. Uh, there's someone in this year's uh, supporting actor that I do talk about. Uh, uh Lee J Cobb, Brothers. Yeah, Karamazov. Yeah. Uh, Jacob, Brothers yeah, Brother Karamazov. Karamazov. So yeah. I'll
0: watch it when I get to that one. Oh, also big country, I think. No,
1: no, no. No? The winner. That's that's not one of the winners. That is one of them.
0: Oh yeah, that's that got score. Oh right. uh, Yeah. Anyway, anyway, back to the
1: movie. (laughs) Back to this movie. Yeah. Can you tell that we're uh, uh, we have a lot to say about this one? It's Um, just a hard movie to talk about. It's like it's. I, I feel like I'm not selling it well. Is the thing I feel like I'm. It's doing a hard it all- movie to sell, regardless of your thoughts on it. Like I didn't really like it that much, but I also can't really speak to why I didn't. In the same yeah. way that you can't really speak to why you did. It. It's just like, it's just a movie. It's just a movie. It's it's when you when you're thinking of a movie from 1958, this is one of one them. Of them. <laughs> Whether uh, you like it or not, it is a, a movie. Mo- yeah, it's a 50s movie about social issues and sort of jaded people, jaded young white men in America. What did you think of Myrna Loy? I wish I had a stronger opinion of Myrna Loy in this movie. <laughs> I wish there was I wish there the movie gave her more to do for me to have opinions about. Like she shows up every now and then and I thought she was very good in the scenes that she has playing off of uh uh, clift and ryan but she's Mm -hmm. so sidelined she's she's really not given a lot to do and especially knowing now that like there is a subplot in the book that she does have this affair with adam uh i would have liked to see that i wonder if that's something that like maybe myrna lloyd didn't want to play a character that was having an affair currently Mm -hmm. like uh I, i i don't know any of the backstory behind that there, it just feels like a character that there's more to on the page than there is in this adaptation. She got pretty obviously cut down, and that's a shame. But I don't think she's mm-hmm. bad. I just think she's not given a ton to work with.
0: Yeah, I, I'm wondering if like I, I want to know like what part, in, like where the changes came about. Now, because like was it like something that Dor, uh, Sherry wanted to, uh, like like he wanted to write it this way or if maybe there was some uh, interference by the film code that was like no you can't do this 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 or this is and had to cut down the film accordingly or if that, that's that...
1: something that maybe happened in the adaptation from the book to the play because the play yeah, is maybe. like the year before this movie so maybe yeah. there's some some changes made there as well it's, it's just so. A... I,
0: there just isn't much information about the production of this, that, like, on the Wikipedia page where it has background production, it's like, the film was Dorsheri's first film as independent producer, and then the other two things are just about how, uh, about the novel and the play. It's yeah. just, like, it doesn't say much about the film itself. And it's just like I, I want to ask about the other performances, but I feel like there's not much to really say because, like, like I just don't think you have much opinion on Dolores' heart as. Oh, I, Jesse. actually,
1: I did think Dolores' heart was good. I, I thought, aside from Stapleton, she was the one that I was most drawn to because she also feels like a regular person, and mm-hmm. she is maybe uh, again, aside from Stapleton, the one character that changes visibly, like changes. Uh. Because emotionally. yes, emotionally is 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 what I I meant there. Um, because she's you know upset with Adam, and he confides in her that like, oh, all these years I've lied to you about my upbringing, and I'm not an orphan. My dad's still alive, and he's in jail for killing my mom, and all this stuff. Uh, and she you know feels a, a, a very conflicted. She has a very conflicted response to all that because she's you know upset with him for not confiding in her earlier and not really trusting him but also feeling very bad about the way she's treated him and the sort of assumptions that she's rolled with in their relationship and when he leaves i i think like she she's good she's she does a good job of conveying that character's uh inner turmoil uh <laughs> i it is I can't get past the name Justy though. Yeah,
0: I, I was thinking about that too. Like, is it short for justice or like, or maybe
1: like Justine or something? But that maybe. doesn't seem like a 1950s name. That seems much more modern. I
0: I just looked it up now, and apparently there's a a brand
1: a model of Subaru called the Justy, <laughs> the Subaru Justy. Maybe that's what she's named after. Uh, in the scene where where her dad, because she like lives with her dad and two brothers, and that's the whole sort of strain on their relationship as well uh but the scene where she like goes off at the end and uh adam has left and she's very emotional about it and she's telling her dad this and she's crying and she goes you know i wonder if anyone has ever thought to count up how many tears uh you cry in a year or whatever and her dad who has just heard her talk about how her her boyfriend has gone through some very traumatic stuff and has left and is she doesn't know the future of their relationship. Her dad goes, "Happy tears or sad tears," <laughs> <laughs> and I, I thought like that. I, I I made a a point of that because like that's not. I just thought that was a a, a funny sort of unintentional well, bit of humor there. Of of course, sad ones. You fucking dumbass.
0: Well, she does have a whole thing and. In- in the like early on where she's telling Montgomery Clift about like how how clueless men are and it's just like like girls start thinking about boys at the age of four Meanwhile, uh, guys still want to just play cowboys and Indians or whatever and it's just like by the time that a girl wants to get married it's like the guy the guys still only want like flings or whatever it's just like and maybe one day you'll be lucky enough to get a proposal and then marriage sucks yeah once
1: again the movie has a lot to say about marriage, uh mm-hmm. if, if you if you hadn't already guessed. Yeah. It, uh poor Justy. <laughs> yeah, poor Justy. Uh and then at the end, they're all at the newspaper office. Uh she shows up there. Uh Adam's about to resign. Shrike is like he improvises a, a news story and it all comes back full circle about how like I thought this guy was uh, full of shit, this young guy that came to work for me and so I tried to you know, break him down and he didn't and he was a good writer and I'm sad that he's quitting or whatever. And then the husband shows up with a gun, Maureen Stapleton's husband, and doesn't shoot anyone and they all leave and it's over. Mm -hmm. And it's a very anticlimactic ending that I feel like, again, thinking back to movies like Ace in the Hole and Sweet Smell of Success that have more darker cynical undercurrents throughout the movie, but then endings specifically. Like they they, you know, have an ending that actually makes a statement and says something about these characters. And this movie doesn't have that. It just sort of ends on Shrike in the office, like lighting a cigarette or something, and then the music swells and the title card says the end and that's it. And it doesn't really leave you with much to ponder or much to like like it doesn't have a note to end on to wrap up all of its various sort of presentations of adultery and and all that it's just presenting them to you and it's over Mm -hmm.
0: yeah and i was looking at the imdb trivia and it's like like Dor sherry apparently regrets giving the film a happy ending yeah uh, apparently it's like this film was kind of uh, derided because of like its changes to the novel and stuff
1: yeah i can see why especially if you know nathaniel west is a a very lauded sort of author and to to take one of his works and and make it this sort of watered down happy happy ending thing i don't know
0: i'm trying to figure out who exactly nathaniel west is he also wrote
1: he wrote the day of the locust as well i think
0: i've seen that movie
1: but i'm not entirely sure uh I think it, 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 did that. No, that's I'm thinking of a different movie. Um, but yeah, he he he's a uh a, a lauded. Oh yeah, right, I, yeah. That
0: was an Oscar-nominated performance. Burgess yeah. Meredith. That's yeah, the I movie so. about Hollywood and whatever.
1: Yes. Didn't yeah.
0: Like it. <laughs> Fair enough. I, I like the movie that completely butchers his novel, but not the film. That I don't know may may have been better uh, adapted. <laughs> Who knows? I
1: haven't seen that one, and I haven't read any of his stuff anyway. So. I can't speak to it uh, beyond just reputation, but oh well.
0: Uh, Going back to this cast, uh, I don't really have much to say about uh, one of these, but the thing is, uh, so there's a character, Frank. He's one of the other writers that uh, Montgomery Cliff, like he's in the same office as, as he's played by Mike Kellen. And it's just like, I knew I recognized that actor from somewhere, but it didn't remember what. And then I looked at his filmography and he is the camp counselor in uh, Sleepaway Camp, huh. like he's the head of the camp or whatever. And it's just like, like and that's also his final film role too. And it's just oh, like, weird. it's I just love that movie a lot. It is very campy and fun. As a like You're very
1: campy, huh? Because it's oh it's, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, not intentional. It, uh, it's yeah. just
0: very, very fun movie.
1: Yeah. Uh, did you recognize the other author? The the theater critic that wanted to write lonely hearts
0: uh oh yeah uh, that's jackie
1: coogan yeah that's uh jackie coogan himself uncle fester and uh the kid from the kid mm-hmm.
0: and he has a whole law named after him so he about does child child labor yeah the coogan act
1: yeah is there anything else you want to say about the um, movie itself
0: uh i'm trying to think uh <laughs> i'm looking down
1: at my notes not a lot
0: not really i think we we've covered the plot pretty well and it's just like it's a plot heavy movie like i did think it was a bit well directed i think there's some good stuff done with the uh um just like the camera movements and stuff i thought that was really interesting who john alton did a good job buddy you're definitely still alive to hear me say that i'm he didn't I'm... didn't die in Ju- june 2nd 1996 uh Oh, what apparently else? the apparently the guy uh shot uh, American in Paris. Good
1: yeah. for him. Damn, uh, a lot of stuff actually. What else in here? This is one of his last movies. Uh, he also shot Brothers Karamazov the same year. So, oh. and then it looks like his last movie was Elmer Gantry. So lived oh, a man. long life after retiring. Yeah, he did. He did a lot of good stuff. Good for you, John Alton. Yeah. Um, I, I'm,
0: yeah, like looking through his filmography, it's like it, there's a lot of movies here that I'm like, damn, that had really good cinematography.
1: Yeah. Uh the director here, he uh, I Sh-
0: I did look him up. Uh he does not direct much
1: in his career. He he directed The Trip to Bountiful on Broadway uh with Lillian Gish and also did The Sound of Music on Broadway. Mm-hmm. Uh he did Some Sun- Sunrise at Campobello uh the movie and the play. Mm-hmm.
0: Uh yeah. I, yeah. I was looking at uh on Letterboxd was looking at his thing there. It's like he has those two and then he has uh two TV movie musicals, Peter Pan and Annie Get Your Gun, both with Mary Martin. Uh, and he yeah. also has a Trip, trip to Bountiful on TV with Lillian Gish. And he also directed The Thief, which is another uh, TV movie. And is notable because it's one of James Dean's other roles. It's one oh, of his few
1: roles. One of the uncredited ones?
0: Oh uh, No, it, it was a credited oh. role. But oh. It was like just a TV movie. Ah,
1: that makes sense. Uh, yeah, I don't have much more else to say about the actual movie. And it's not like we're going to have a ton to say about the Oscars stuff either. But uh, do you want to move on to some of that? Yeah, let's do it. <laughs> the nominees are Peggy Cass
0: for Andy Maine, And Miss Wendy Hiller for Separate Tables.
1: Martha Hyatt for Some Came Running.
0: Maureen Stapleton, Lonely Hearts.
1: Cara Williams, The Defiant Ones. Okay, so uh, this movie has one other uh, citation on the IMDb Awards tab. It got a Golden Globe nomination for Maureen Stapleton for Supporting Actress, the other nominees being Mostly the Oscar nominees, Cara Williams, uh, Peggy Cass, and Wendy Hiller, but the winner, uh, Hermione Gingold for Gigi, is not Oscar nominated. And I do not have an actual quiz for you written out in terms of like hints or whatever, but uh, do you know some the other? There looks like there are five uh, Golden Globe winners for supporting actress at the Globes that didn't carry over to Oscar nominations.
0: Oh. I I have to remember people who won Golden Globes but didn't move on from there.
1: You don't have to. I'm not gonna like spend time on this. And if you don't get it, I can read them off. But oh, uh, just
0: tell me. I I don't know who won yeah. Golden Globes.
1: So the others uh, being Katie Girado for High Noon. Gerardo? I don't. I think it's also... G-
0: I think it's Jurado. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, right.
1: Karen Black for The Great Gatsby. Catherine Ross for Voyage of the Damned. And then it didn't happen again until Jodie Foster for the Mauritanian a few years ago. Oh, yeah. Remember God, that one? The... Remember oh, the Mauritanian? God. I I remember. I remember
0: that year was so funny in terms of like the acting because for nominations, it was just so up in the air because there was also uh that one little girl who was in News of the World or whatever that was. Yeah. It was, and it's just like it, – and then, but when uh, after the nominations came out, it's like it was pretty easy to get who's going to win. Yeah. But then, lead actress that had a pretty solid God. five in terms of nominees. But then, who the hell was going to win?
1: Yeah, yeah. Weird year. I I wish I could talk about that supporting actress race. I almost got to with Hillbilly Elegy, and I almost got to with Borat Two, but uh, they both oh, got yeah. another nomination. Yep. Oh well. Make
0: up for Hillbilly Elegy, and then. Screenplay. Uh, screenplay adapted for, screenplay
1: for, for Borat subsequent movie film.
0: It well deserved.
1: It. <laughs> yeah, no, that's a good one. It's just still weird to think about that it happened.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, God, it, it's just so cool that like an actor from Borat too got us an acting nomination. It's just like that that is unthinkable. Like no one yeah. would believe you if you told them that happened before that movie came out.
1: It's also kind of weird to think back on as well as I think about. Like, yeah, th- that really did happen, didn't it? Mm-hmm. And to think about how much of that was because of Rudy Giuliani. And just like, here's an Oscar for being in a room with Rudy Giuliani. Oh, Uh, yeah.
0: You know, I never really thought about that as like a reason why it happened. I was just thinking like, oh, she she was just so funny. I mean, that that too. She is
1: also very funny. But I remember that being the tenor at least very early on. When people yeah. were just like, hey, she's really fun in this. Let's get her an Oscar nomination. And then a month later, everyone was like, oh, wait, no, this could actually happen. We were kind of just like joking about that. But like, why not? Yeah. it took a while, I remember, for people to settle in on like that being more than just a, a hypothetical to throw out uh, in, in the way that we do sometimes with like more comedic performances. of Like this is never going to happen. But wouldn't it be cool mm-hmm. if she did? And then you sort of look around at the rest of the, the field and wait, maybe she actually could. And then it turns out she did. Yeah.
0: Uh, really happy for Maria Bakalova. She was fantastic. And, yes. and like, it's, and just being like honest, it's like, it's never going to happen again. But so it's just like, let's just let her have it this one time. Yeah. And just like, I'm, I'm trying to remember like anybody who was also, Oh yeah, I guess J- Jodie Foster and uh, the little girl from News at the World. It's like Jodie Foster doesn't need another nomination. Like um... yeah,
1: Ellen Burstyn for Pieces of a Woman doesn't need another nomination.
0: I, I would have liked that to happen though.
1: She was really good in that. I but uh, on rewatch when I rewatched it to do that episode, I was not as uh, taken by that performance. It's mm-hmm. she's fine in it, but yeah, uh, not not necessarily on par with the rest of that category.
0: We're just disagreeing a lot today and, and like the it's it, just for context it's just like uh we recorded my an episode from my podcast right before this and for that one it's just like our rankings of the shorts or were completely flipped which you know in an episode of three nominees is easy to do but still it's normal.
1: yeah yeah it, i i also feel like sometimes on this show i sort of fall into a a, a sort of middle ground with people like we we sort of convince each other uh to to like meet in the middle on movies if we have a differing opinion so Mm -hmm. happy to have sort of more more uh not disagreements we're not fighting or anything but like uh to have differing opinions at the very least yeah um Yeah. all this to say lonely hearts at the oscars (laughs) not as much of a conversation here I haven't yeah. seen all of these other nominees yet. I have not seen Some Came Running or The Defiant Ones, but... Uh, I have seen them all. <laughs> I would imagine so. Uh, do you want to uh, talk about maybe those two and then the others? Uh,
0: so start with Some Came, some came Running and or The Or just Defiant like ones? if you have
1: general thoughts on uh, the Cara Williams and what's the name of the actress? Martha Heyer. Martha Heyer. I didn't write it down.
0: The the funny thing about those two performances is that I don't remember them at all. It's just like I when I think about those movies, I think about for some came running, I think about uh, Shirley MacLaine and the Rat Pack having fun and going around. And for defined ones, I really just remember uh Tony Curtis and Sydney Poitiers. It's just like I I think Martha Heyer must be like one of the townsfolk that's like that they meet along the way or something, or that and it's like but i just don't remember i i don't remember uh theodore bickle and defiant ones either It's like but but yeah it's like i i do remember the other nominees though i have re- strong memories of wendy Hiller and peggy cass and those in separate tables and anti-mame
1: yeah uh anti-mame is a movie that i saw once when i was a kid i think we had it on vhs or something and i feel for whatever reason i feel like this was around christmas uh, we just put it on. And how long is that movie actually? How long is... Uh,
0: uh, it's, pro- it's probably over two
1: hours. Um, it's, it's two hours and 23 minutes, uh, according to Google. I remember as a child, though, thinking that was the longest thing I had ever watched. It felt like it just went on, like we put it on in the morning and I was... I mean, I liked it. I was enraptured by it, but it was like this thing is just going on forever. How I didn't know you could make movies this long. Uh, <laughs> I, I have that very vivid memory. Uh, I don't remember a ton about the actual movie itself because there was a lot to take in for a child. Uh, but I do vaguely remember this character and remember her being fun, I think. Yeah. I don't remember a, a ton about the actual performance, though, and I have not revisited it since then.
0: Yeah, I love Anti-Mame so much. It it's even better than Lonely Hearts, which I know is such a high <laughs> bar for you. But <laughs> still, like, I, like the main draw of the movie is Rosalind Russell as the titular Anti-Mame. Like, that is a performance of the century, in my opinion, one of the greatest performances I've ever seen. But still, Peggy Cass—I forget her character's name—but she's like this very nerdy, bookish character that gets kind of glammed up by Auntie mame and she she's really fun in her role well it's it's just such a fun movie he is oh god it, it's so gorgeous too I, I don't know what to say about it. i'm just gushing over everything every little thing about it it's just anti-mame great movie watch it
1: yeah i definitely need to revisit that one soon because uh sounds like a fun time sounds like mm-hmm. I, I would enjoy it if i you know revisited it and such uh yeah and then uh, Wendy Hiller our winner here for separate yeah. tables uh how do you she, feel about her here she
0: is good in that movie i'm not mad that she won uh i separate tables is actually a movie i don't remember that well i i remember the actors in it i i remember i it's like i remember watching them i remember seeing the performances i don't remember the plot of the movie but i just remember like being just really enjoying everyone that's involved like Deborah Carr and Burt Lancaster David Niven Wendy Heller all all the characters in this movie I think are just really well played and it's just I I just wish I remembered more about the actual plot and like what the actual uh here what actually happened to these characters yeah I, I should have really rewatched more of these movies than just love the hearts but yeah I did watch I
1: that one uh I hadn't seen that one before this and I did watch it uh it's also kind of a convoluted plot. It feels almost like a precursor to like the the throw a bunch of stars into a airport, for example, and have okay. them all go through their own sort of personal dramas uh, where you have this younger couple and you have Bert Lancaster, who's there, who lives at this hotel and is, you know, in a relationship with Wendy Hiller, who's this sort of strict, uh, like the the matron of the hotel or whatever, the desk clerk. And his ex-wife, uh, Rita Hayworth, comes back and she's, you know, trying to get him back. And then also David Niven is this colonel that's trying to hide this news article that he has pled guilty to, like, harassing girls in a movie theater. And Deborah Carr is this, like, sort of sheltered young woman whose mother is is overbearing. And it's just a bunch of stuff happening to all these people in this hotel. Some of it I, I liked better than others. I was I didn't really like Deborah Carr in it all that much. I thought she was kind of one note and, and didn't fit the character, but I thought Niven was good. I thought Lancaster was good. I thought Rita Hayworth was good. I really liked Wendy Hiller. She was maybe the standout for me out of the cast. I thought she, kind of in a similar way to Maureen Stapleton in this, although I liked the movie Separate Tables more than I liked this one, uh, that where everyone else feels kind of like a stock character, uh, that is, you know, fleshing out this this locale. That uh, Wendy Hiller felt like a real person, like like a real uh, character that was dealing with actual uh, emotions and, and and stuff, rather than more heightened sort of melodrama.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And it's not a showy role by any means. It's it's a much more subdued performance than you usually get in and as far as Oscar winners. But yeah, no, I I, I am a fan of that win. I, I think she deserved it from what I've seen and what I remember at least, which is well, I, I actually I don't know if uh if I necessarily agree with that because I, I did really like Maureen Stapleton, despite not liking the movie. Mm-hmm. Uh but yeah no I thought she was very good and I'm glad generally that Wendy Hiller had an Oscar. Yeah she
0: she really deserved one, and at some point in her career, yeah. I, I would have also liked it if she had won for uh, what's a uh, Man for All Seasons. Although that's controversial, considering the actual winner is uh, Sandy Dennison who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf, and I don't care for that movie. So whatever,
1: there. Another strong disagreement, actually, on my behalf. With that.
0: Yeah, but. <laughs> We're talking about a lot of movies based on plays today.
1: Yeah, it's it's a very theatrical. We're recording this, I think, the day after World Theater Day. So, oh, so well, close. I didn't even know that. I what saw it? one person post about it, I think. And uh, for whatever reason, remembered that. <laughs> uh, All right.
0: But yeah, it's separate tables. I, the one thing I really remember about separate tables is not even really something to do with the movie itself. It's just that the play or i guess technically plays that the film is based on uh it has the same actor play uh like so for the main roles of it the rita hayworth deborah Carr, david niven and burt lancaster roles the male roles are played by the same actor and the female roles are played by the same actor so oh, it's like yeah. they, they just split that in half uh for the film which you know makes sense because film is a different medium and they also probably wanted to shove as many stars as they could in there but still it's a it's a notable thing.
1: Yeah, I forgot about that, but yeah, I I had heard that somewhere. Mm-hmm. Interesting.
0: And it's also funny that you said separate tables is like the start of the like airport kind of genre where it's like put a bunch of stars in the movie when it's like Grand Hotel. Uh, yeah, picture. I mean
1: they've been doing that for a while, but it, it, this feels like a, a proto. It, it's. It's another stuff in the, the line. Yes, yes, it's one of the precursors, not the singular. Uh, but mm-hmm. yeah, it does feel sort of like put a bunch of people in a place and see what happens. Exactly. You know. Uh, I don't really have much more to say about Lonely uh, Hearts at uh, the actual Oscars. Uh, uh, and
0: is there another step to your podcast? Here, another segment we can move to.
1: Well, there is, but is there anything else you? Want? I haven't seen Gigi, so I can't talk to the the movie that you know won everything this year. So I. I, I,
0: I hate Gigi so much. You are
1: not alone in that. Uh, by pretty Much all account, I,
0: I like. I usually like those Vincent Vincente Manelli movies, and uh, that one is not good at all. I think it is very long, the songs are bad, and I do not like it one bit. It is pretty, though. Fair. I will give it that. I will give it the fact that uh, it is very pretty to look at. That is fair, yeah. uh. And I'll say it's like uh, that. So I have a spreadsheet of like all the Oscar winners, all the Oscar categories, and it's like, uh, and I have one spreadsheet where I mark out like who I think should have won each category, or whatever. And this year is, I think, the lowest of any year, or one of one of the lowest, where it's just like I disagree with almost every single winner this year. That but,
1: would make sense. Most of the winners were Gigi. <laughs>
0: Yeah, exactly. But but even like so like I let me look through and see what the ones I agree with are. So one of them is best supporting actor for burl Ives in uh w- w- the big country. And even then i I think he should have won instead for a uh, cat in a tin roof, but he wasn't nominated for yeah. that because of the rule about, about uh
1: submitting um, category.
0: Yeah, and also I think he was campaign and lead anyway, so he would have yeah. been nominated anyway. Um I'm still looking through to try and find the other categories. Oh, uh, best sound for South Pacific is another one. Fair, and then uh, best costume design for Gigi, and that's it. Just those three categories. Not none, none of the main categories, except for you know, uh, Lives. and none of the categories. I not even best animated short did I agree with that year. Oh no. Yeah, but that's the that whole thing. <laughs> it, that went to Night and Night Bugs that year A loony, One of the rare Looney Tunes ones The only time that Bugs Bunny won an Oscar Oh wow And and that that's a bad short It's not good It's a very mediocre Bugs Bunny short and, and that's a bad year in general But even for the category And even though I prefer Paul Bunyan over that one
1: Interesting And you can
0: listen to my episode on that year right now if you want <laughs> Or right it's, after this
1: You sure can uh, we're just bringing bringing our listeners on a on a, a scavenger hunt from episode yeah. to episode. <laughs> um, yes. uh, yeah, I, I'm curious. Do you have a a lineup uh, for supporting actress this oh, year of your yes. own? Uh, uh, let me, because I'm I looking t- through this year, uh, and from what I've seen, I actually probably could pull out a a list of five. Arguably, I, I have
0: four currently. I'll I'll just go through them So nominated, I still have Maureen Stapleton She's my only carryover uh, I also include Myrna Loy In Lona Lonely Hearts I have Angela Lansbury In The Reluctant Debutante And for my winner that year I have Judith Anderson In Cat on the Hot Tin Roof And I'll just note that uh, Cat on the Hot Tin Roof wins Almost every eligible category I have, except for Best Picture, which I give to The Tender Game, which is a short film by Faith and John Hubley. And I give... it. And I give uh, what I... I turn every design category into one category that I call visually interesting, and then I give that to Auntie Mame.
1: Fair. Uh, Looking at... I have not seen a ton of movies from this year, just in general. Uh, So this is a a very sort of truncated list. I'd probably keep Maureen Stapleton. I I did really like her. Uh, I might keep Wendy Hiller. Or maybe someone else from separate tables. Maybe, uh, I can't remember her name, but the, the older lady in that one. Uh, Judith Anderson, Cat on a Hot Tin Roof would make my list as well. Uh, it's a small role, but Barbara Bel in Vertigo, I think would, uh, I, I really like that character in her few scenes. And then, oh, it's been a while since I've seen Touch of Evil, but probably someone from that. Probably. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. That's a good movie, and there's good performances, like Marlena in
0: Dietrich in that. I think
1: she was incredible. yeah, yeah probably so. Yeah, I, I don't know how big the role is, but
0: she it's Marlena Dietrich. She can make anything out of however big a role she can.
1: That's very true. That's very true. Um, yeah, interesting year for movies uh, in terms of what gets remembered and what doesn't. And yeah, Lonely Hearts uh, doesn't. For all intents and purposes.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's definitely not a well remembered movie. Which, yeah. which which uh is exactly why I picked this episode. Exactly. So I would so someone would talk about this movie. And so but yeah. I appreciate um, it.
1: I'm always happy for people to pick out the lesser known ones because it's a good opportunity to get some of those out of the way and to have a fun conversation like this one about a movie that I wouldn't have uh, been drawn to otherwise outside of this particular uh project. Uh
0: yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm just curious, like, what your opinion on the other uh, acting categories are, if you have them, because I feel like ah, uh, this is see. a pretty. You you already mentioned you haven't seen the Defiant one, so this actor is a bit of a wash. Although yeah, I've seen... seen
1: from this year uh, of the the performance. This is wow. From the performances that were nominated this year, I've seen Separate Tables, which knocks out three. Cat on a hot tin roof, which knocks out two. Uh. Auntie Mame, which knocks out two lonely hearts, and I think that's it. All right, Wait, a lot so, of catch up to do on on these other categories.
0: So, so best actress actually—that ha- you've seen three of the five, or yeah, three of the five yes. there. Um, what do you think? Of that what do you think of Deborah Carr, Rosalind Russell, and Elizabeth Taylor?
1: Uh, wasn't a huge fan of Deborah Carr. Uh. Don't remember much of Andy Mame, but I oh, do yeah, remember yeah, really right. liking Rosalind Russell. And yeah, that's a great Elizabeth Taylor performance, kind of a hot tin roof. That's a mm-hmm. of the three that I've seen. With a major caveat that I don't remember much of Rosalind Russell's actual performance, I would lean towards Taylor. But mm-hmm. I am willing to rewatch uh, Andy Mame and be wowed by that performance because, as as you and many other people have gushed over it, like I'm sure I would love it. Yeah, uh, with with a more, you know, uh, paying attention to it.
0: Yeah, on on my end, uh, I this year really sticks out for me in terms of best actress because I have Elizabeth Taylor and Rosalind Russell tied in terms of my winner because both of them are like two of my favorite performances I've ever seen, and yeah. it's just like in, in my personal words, it's like I give Paul Newman lead actor, Burr Burr alive supporting actor, Judith Anderson supporting actress as as just like. Like, but lead actress, I can't separate them because they are just too good. And it's just like, they're, it's it's insane that both of them were the same year. And yeah. n- not only did not, ni- and neither of them won best actress and neither of their films won best picture. And it's just like, what, what was going on with the Academy this
1: year? What goes on with the Academy every year? Bad. True. Taste. True. <laughs> I have one last question for you before we move on to our uh, final segment, which is, is being the owner of a lonely heart really that much better than being the owner of a broken heart, as uh, yes uh, implied?
0: Um. Let's see. Uh, lonely heart or broken heart? I think I think broken heart has got to be better, because like, it's better to
1: have loved and lost than to have never loved at all. Exactly. Yes is wrong, even though that song is good. Uh yeah, so let's move on to our final segment here. Uh in your fantasy world, where you get to pick all the nominations, what nominations would you have given to Lonely Hearts, other than the two that you already mentioned?
0: Yeah, I see so yeah, like I mentioned, the two supporting actress nominations. I I would have given it best picture. <laughs> I would have nominated I would I have nominated Montgomery Clift, actually. I've been debating this. Uh because I still really like him, but also I find him kind of irritating at times uh let's say sure let's say sure i'll nominate montgomery cliff because i I don't know who else i would put in there i do have a full five for lead actor which is rare for my categories especially at this time period um i would also nominate robert ryan i i don't think i would nominate for best director i would nominate it for screenplay though and that's probably it i don't think i would ever put it into like cinematography or anything so yeah screenplay a bunch of acting nominations best picture
1: that's fair. Yeah, I would keep the uh, uh, the Morning Stapleton nomination. I might throw Robert Ryan a Supporting Actor nomination because I like him. And does he only have the one Oscar nomination, or is there another one that I can't? I, I think it's just one. That would make sense. I want to double check on that. I uh, yeah, nominated I'm, I'm... for Crossfire, and that might be it. That is it. Yeah. Oh, well. Deserved more nominations. Should have been nominated for Billy Budd. Uh, I still need to see his Iceman cometh the uh, uh the posthumous movie, I think I don't know at the very least it was his last movie. yes, no, it was a posthumous movie for him as well uh yeah i I need to see more from him, but from what I have seen, great actor uh but other than those two, I don't think I would have given this other nominations uh as I have made clear wasn't as big of a fan of it mm-hmm. yeah uh, you... yeah. <laughs> that's it yeah thank you so much for coming on Had a great time talking about this movie with you
0: i am very happy to come back and i and next time i will i make a promise i will be covering a lead actor nominee so i can complete a set of acting performances hell yeah mark my words hell yeah! i don't know which one maybe it'll be a bad one maybe be a good one who
1: knows there's plenty of both to go around uh yeah thank you so much uh is there anything you want to plug where people can find you and your stuff yes of course
0: so i'm going to plug my podcast which we've mentioned a couple times in this episode already uh uh, the short podcast about short films also the short pod with underscores spaces on twitter uh we talk about short films and currently we are going through the, the Academy Award for Best Animated Short Film. You know, just going through year by year each episode. And Gordon, you've been on it multiple times. Uh, Your fourth appearance on it will be coming out on May 4th, I believe. I think that's what I said. Yes, something th- around then. May 4th, which is the day before my birthday. So oh, nice. wish me happy birthday when you watch that episode. Uh, but yeah, or listen to it, I guess. Uh, And yeah, we recorded that episode right before this one. And so we didn't really. We, I wonder. I uh, I wondered at the end of that episode, like, would we reference it at all? And we didn't really. We didn't. Except really, for now. Except for now. Yeah. Uh, Kama Sutra rides again, and all that.
1: It sure does. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Go check out uh, my three previous episodes, and be on the lookout for that one. And also check out the other episodes of the whole podcast as a whole, because it's a very good podcast. Uh, you can find this show on Twitter and letterboxed at Lone Acting Noms and on Instagram at The Lone Acting Nominees. That'll be it for this episode. Thank you for listening.